Uh, we closed out um, last week as Acts 25 when uh, Paul had appealed to Caesar and we heard verse 12 where uh, they came together as a council and they said, well, you've appealed to Caesar, so to Caesar you shall go. And um, this happened during the reign of the governor um, of Felix and Felix leaves uh, Paul in prison for a period of about two years. And his reign ends and when his reign comes to an end, another governor raised up his name as Festus. And Festus is not as familiar with the Jewish way of life, the Old Testament, specifically the law and all of those things, the Jews. And so he calls forth King Agrippa. And Agrippa is overruling over the area there. And he comes in and, and Agrippa's now going to hear the case. And Agrippa shows up with his sister Bernice and um, they call Paul before them. And so that's where Acts chapter 26 begins to, to start. And, and the reason is, is because to send someone to Caesar, they have to have some kind of formal written up um, explanation of why is he being brought to Caesar. And so that's kind of how everything's unfolded. And Paul is going to show up in Acts 26, and for the third and final time in the book of Acts, you're going to hear the testimony of Saul of Tarsus transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ to become the Apostle Paul. This morning is a message of mercy and of the great grace of God, of God's kindness, of His tenderness, of His love, His compassion, and the calling that we have in response to that. So this morning we're going to look here specifically this this ideology or this thought here of understanding our appointment as a servant and witness to realize that we also have an appointment just as paul receives his appointment this morning he's going to tell us about but we also have an appointment as a servant and witness and so six things i want to try to throw at you this morning as we walk here in acts chapter 26 um so the first one is this appointments are made by grace and they're rooted in mercy appointments are made by grace and they're rooted in mercy look with me would acts chapter 26 paul is sharing his testimony he says at midday O king this is king agrippa he's speaking to he says verse 13 of acts 26 i saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me and when we had all fallen to the ground i heard a voice saying to me in the hebrew language most likely aramaic saul saul why are you persecuting me it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am who? Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. Look what he says here. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. And here we this, to appoint you. He says, listen, I've appealed to you, appeared to you here for this moment in time and life to appoint you. I'm going to give you a, a, an intentional commission. Can you imagine the spiritual pundits in that day and time if they looked and said, why? Right? I mean, can you even imagine the disciples? They're asking that same question, like, why would you pick him? Like, if you're looking through a, a, a list of resumes or you have a stack on your desk, God, Paul's not going to be at the top of it. I mean, this is not the guy that you want to choose. I mean, why would you make this decision? And you say, well, why are you saying that? Well, listen to his own testimony. Just to rewind the text a little bit, back to verse 9 here in Acts 26. Paul gives his testimony. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things. Look what he says here. In opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints. He's having saints put in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, he says, I was there casting my vote against them. 
He says, listen, I oppose Jesus. I put people in prison. In fact, when they were up to get a vote and decide if they should die or not, he said, I thought, hey, kill those guys. I punished them often. This wasn't like the occasional. He says, listen, this was who I was continually. In all the synagogues, I tried to even make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And that's the amazing part. Is that guy right there is the guy that God calls and appoints to go and do his work. It's an amazing moment. And for me, it just literally screams out this. Nobody here is too far gone. Nobody here is too far gone for God to use you. You haven't made enough messes. You haven't made enough big mistakes. You haven't gone too far this time. You have not done too much for God. You say, well, Blake, that was just Paul and he's really special. No, that's actually been God's way all along. I read this morning Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, this simple statement. And I will remember their sins, what? No more. Wow. I will remember their sins no more. And you say, well, again, Blake, that's great. I mean, that's for like really special people, but that really doesn't apply to me. No, God has been doing it this way, guys, all along. Noah got drunk. Abraham was really, really old, and he had a tendency to lie. He kept saying his wife was actually his what? His sister. What about Jacob? He was a liar. He was a deceiver. Joseph was abused by his own family. Moses stuttered. He killed a guy. Gideon was afraid and the least in all his family. His clan was the least amongst all the clans of Israel. I mean, he's like the last of the last. Rahab was what? We don't forget easily, do we? Jeremiah and Timothy, if Abraham was too old, well, Jeremiah and Timothy were just too young. And then there was David who was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah struggled even with being suicidal. Peter denied Jesus. See, throughout the Bible, there is continually moments of grace and mercy of God using people that others would pass by. So I want you to hear this message this morning and realize, listen, if God can use them, then is He saying He wants to use me? God, do you want to use me, God? Are you calling me, God? Are you appointing me, God, to go and do something? So this morning, it's just a simple statement. Look what he says to him, though. Verse 16 of Acts 26, Jesus speaking to Saul of Tarsus, back there on that road in Damascus, Acts chapter 9. But rise and stand upon your feet. Here is a sinner being called to rise and stand up on his feet. Why? Because he says, you know what? Where sin abounds, Paul says that what? Grace abounds all the more. It says you can look at your sin in your life, but when you do that, I want you to look at it in light of the gospel and realize that His mercy is more. Brother Corey's going to be coming this morning, going to lead us in a song that um, has just been speaking to this truth, the fact that God's mercy is more. I want you to see that throughout the biblical text. God has used all kinds of people that have messed up and made a big mistake of things. And yet the, the Word of God keeps coming back, my mercy is more. Without bottom or shore 
Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is captures well that our sins are many but his mercy what it's more man as we look and thank guys as you hear and i pray today the spirit is speaking to you about what god is calling you to do what his appointment is for you that when you look and think of all the reasons why you're disqualified why you could never ever be that witness back at your work or to your spouse or to friends man You look at your sin and shame and then you look to the cross and say, but His mercy is more. His grace is so much greater than my sin and my shame and my mistakes. And so when we look at the life of Saul of Tarsus who was conformed and transformed by the grace and mercy of God, 
we all also scream out, His mercy is more. So secondly, the thing I want to throw to you is this. Appointments are to serve and witness. So your appointment is by grace and it's rooted in mercy, but your appointment, your calling, your commission as a responder to the grace and mercy of God is an appointment to serve and to witness. Look with me, if you would, back in verse 16. Jesus speaks to, to Saul there back on that road in Acts 19 or Acts chapter 9. He says, Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this a purpose to appoint you as a servant. He says, Listen, I'm calling you as a servant. The, the word, I, can, I don't know if you can see the image very well on the screen, but it, it's a compound word. It literally means under rower. He says, and so during this time, often the ships, they would have people that were put under on the bottom lower levels of the, of the deck, below the deck. You would never see them. Literally, they're under rowers. They're rowing underneath. Oftentimes, they're prisoners that are chained, and therefore, if the ship goes down, everybody else jumps overboard, but nobody's coming in to loose their, their, their bonds. This is a, a task, right? When, when Jesus uses this word right here to Paul, this is a word of calling of humility, saying, are you willing to be an under rower? Are you willing to row underneath? I mean, this is a call, and I'll be honest with you. I don't know any of you here packing a King James or New King James or New American Standard. Raise your hand. Anybody doing that, packing? If you look in, in, your, in your translation there, instead of the word servant, you're going to see something that starts with an M. Has anybody got it? To point you as a what? Do you see it? Minister. The word under rower is the word that's used literally there. He's saying of a minister. And all week long, reading that, knowing that word is being used by Jesus Christ to Paul here, I keep having to ask myself this question. Lord, am I okay rowing underneath? Do I have too much pride that I have to always be out front? That I want to make sure that people see what I'm doing? Am I okay doing something in the background? Am I okay doing something after hours? Am I okay being faithful, God, at five-star when nobody sees God? Am I okay, the Lord, or do I have to do it when other people know? Do I have to announce it to people? Do I need, God, this, this feeling to want to tell somebody of what this good deed I did? Am I okay just serving underneath where nobody may see? You see, our pride desires that, that want to be seen and known. But knowing that, look what he says. Also, he says, knowing you a servant, he calls us... Paul to be a witness. It's the word from which we derive the word martyr, if you looked in the original language. He says, listen, Paul, I'm calling you to be an under rower underneath a, row, a work of humility. But also, Paul, you're going to have to die, man. Now, you may, die not, may not, you may not die physically, but there's a call for you and I to lay down our lives. To say, listen, I want you to realize this appointment that you have is not to easy street. It is not going to be easy to drive the bus, to work with the children, to work with the youth. It's not always going to be easy to, to share the gospel on your job site. It's not always going to be easy. God did not call us to easy. He didn't call us to the comfort or what we like. He says, I want you to know, Paul, that your labor is one of an under rower, one of humility, and one of sharing the gospel. And sharing the gospel isn't easy. I was reminded of that here recently when we began talking with a second grader that lives in our house about, hey, buddy, are, before you eat breakfast and lunch at school, are, are, you, are you just bowing your head and praying? No, Dad. Well, why? Well, because people don't do that, and it's, it's going to be weird and awkward. And here's the temptation. We can try to shame people, say, well, you know what? If you really love Jesus, you would get on your knees and pray. 
But instead, I think as parents, we need to take the superhero cape off and say, you know what, buddy? Daddy struggles too. Now, it may not be to pray, but you know what? At cow days, I struggle with some of those people that I know in the back parking lot. I'm afraid. You know what, buddy? Sometimes when we're with our family and I need to stand up and tell somebody about Jesus, I feel like this overwhelming fear of like, I don't want to say this. And oftentimes I don't. So I think we need as parents, as servants in the church, as ministers, as Sunday school teachers, as leaders, as moms and dads, as grandparents, we need to share with our children that guess what? The empowerment of God's Spirit that you need, Daddy needs it too. And so if you see Daddy out sharing the gospel at Five Star at a restaurant, or if you see it happening, here's what you'll know, son. I was afraid in that moment, but the power of the Spirit is greater than my fear. And so if you see Daddy sharing the gospel somewhere, you'll know it's Jesus doing it. You'll know that it's Jesus doing it. And here's the good news, buddy, that if you will repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ, the same Spirit that lives in Daddy and lives in Mommy that gives us that courage, He'll come to live inside of you. And guess what? He will give you that same courage too. Why? Because witnessing, guys, isn't always easy. It's hard. It's a challenge. But that was the appointment of the Apostle Paul. He says, listen, I'm appointing you as a servant and as a witness to the things in which you have seen. Thirdly is this. Appointments are made to send you and I somewhere. Appointments are made to send you and I somewhere. Look what happens with Paul. He says to him further, he says that you are a witness to these things, verse 16, in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. So he says, listen here, he's to the Gentiles. And look what he says, a statement here, to whom I am sending you. Now, let's be honest. Most people here, I don't know how much you know about the, the biblical narrative of what's happening, but the Gentiles are the outcast. Like if you want to get signed up, you don't want to have to go to those people. Right? I mean, they are the people that other people like don't want to sit beside. They're the, like the last people kick, pick for kickball. I mean, these are like the people that nobody else wants to associate and be with. And that's who Paul's called to go to. You see, it looks like when you teachers receive your roster for the year and you look down that list and you realize that you've got that kid. You've got to begin to realize that that kid is in your class because God in His power and His divine knowledge and His perfect love wants to use you to love on that kid and that family. When we look up and you realize that you've got a new shift manager at work and that new shift manager reminds you of Hitler, you've got to begin to realize that God has put you right where He wants you and He's sending you to that person that you could serve and witness even when it's really hard. Some of you, in context of where we've been the last few weeks of dealing with God's divine plan and specifically of suffering, you've got to begin to ask yourself, why am I here in this doctor's office? Might it be for someone else around me? Might it be for that doctor or that nurse? And there's many medical folks in here. Maybe you ought to ask the question when you knock on that door and you go in to see that patient. Maybe the reason why some of these things are happening in their life is because God wanted to put them in your chair because you're one person that they really respect and they might listen to about Jesus. Now, I realize these are hard moments. These are challenging moments, things we probably wouldn't choose, but that's where Paul is, in fact, called to go. He's called to go to the outcast. You see, oftentimes God gives us an appointment that we wouldn't choose otherwise. 
We would say, God, I'd rather be able to do this, or God, I'd rather be able to talk to that person, or God, if I could just share with that person. And God says, no, I want you to go and share with this person. In fact, that's why this person's in, in your life and you're in their life, because I'm sending you to them that you would share the gospel with them. That's where I'm sending you, Paul. And so Paul is there dealing with it. You want to think that you have a hard, hard, hard job, maybe you have a hard time sharing the gospel on your job or with your family or friends? Try this one on for size. Second Samuel chapter 11. There's a king and his name is David. And David sees this woman bathing on this other, oh, on this other housetop and he calls her and he finds out that she's actually married. But he doesn't really worry about that and he goes ahead and sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant. It gets really scandalous and he's not sure what to do and he finally decides that he has her husband killed and he covers it up and he brings her into his house. And chapter 11 of 2 Samuel closes with just a simple statement in verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And you wonder, well, what's God going to do when he's displeased with that? I wonder what is going to be his operating? What's he going to think? What's he going to choose? It's just this simple statement. Again, you're thinking, God, I don't really want to do that. Well, imagine this. This is God's way often sending us to places we would not choose otherwise. It's this, verse 1 of 2 Samuel 12. And the Lord did what? Sorry. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, if you go into the king's presence without being asked, you can be killed for that. This guy's not only going in, he's going in to call this guy out as an adulterer and a murderer. The king! Can you imagine that type of commission? But that's all that we have is that it says the Lord sent Nathan to David. Brothers and sisters, we don't get to pick the mission. We're just called to be faithful to the appointment. And oftentimes it's the missions that we would not choose, that we would not like, that we do not want. But listen, the unreached people group, I know you can't see it real well. Maybe I'll just zoom in. I don't know if you remember kind of this old colloquial statement that used to say, go west, young man, go west. I would say that in light of the unreached, if you look on that map, the orange and the red are people that are unengaged, unreached. They have no access, many of them, to the gospel at all. They don't know anybody that's a Christian. There's no, no copy of God's word for many of them to even read about Jesus I would whisper to you and I today, in light of what God has done for you, His grace and mercy to you, that God's calling to you to be a servant and witness, and His appointment for you and I, I would whisper, go east. Go east. Look to the vast lostness. Go east. I know it's not an easy appointment. Right? Emily and I, we've been taught, we have to deal with it of, What's it look like to leave our children for a week or two weeks? Or what's it look like to leave the confines of the, of the berg and, and clean water and healthy food? What's it look like to leave and, and all of these things, to lay these things aside? But we keep have to answer this question. Is Christ not worth it? Is these people's eternity separated from God not worth our comfort? Is it not trump our reasons why we can't go? And so our appointments are made to send us somewhere. Fourthly is this, appointments are to open eyes. Remember the context of what's happening here in verse 18 as you hear it. He says, listen, to open their eyes. There in verse 18, you see that statement, to open their eyes. Remember, who's speaking to Paul here? Jesus is. So this is some really in-depth teaching, okay? And this is a challenging statement. What's Jesus mean by saying to Paul that they are, he is to open their eyes? 
I think one of the texts that might help us understand this a little bit would be 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when Paul writes to the church at Corinth and speaks a little bit about this. It's a familiar text, but let's just look at it just for a moment to maybe understand what does Jesus mean when he says that I'm sending you to the Gentiles specifically to open their eyes, Paul. What does Jesus mean by opening their eyes? Look what it says here. Verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes about unbelievers. He says, in their case, he speaks of the God of this world. Who's the God of this world here? Satan. The God of this world has done something. He's blinded minds of unbelievers to do, keep them from what? To keep them from seeing the light, which is in essence the gospel that speaks of Jesus Christ, the way of salvation. Do you realize that? That I want you to recognize that where God is sending you, you are engaging in a, a spiritual war. There is an enemy that is at work to blind the minds, to keep people from seeing, hearing, responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what are we in response to that? What's, what God, what's God going to do? Look what it says in verse 6. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, back in creation in Genesis 1, God spoke, right? Let there be light. That's what Paul's pulling from. He says, in the same way, God has shown in our hearts to give the light which is, again, the knowledge, ultimately, of Jesus Christ. It says God's going to shine the light. You say, well, Blake, so what's that got to do? If God's the one shining the light, it looks like he's the one that's opening the eyes. I, I can't do that. You're right. You and I can't open anyone's heart. You and I cannot cause people to, like, get it, right? John 16, Jesus says the, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will bring conviction. In regards, he says, because men and women do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict them as... So what should my response be? What should, I mean, what, what should my responsibility be in this moment? And I think that's where we kind of fit like this Oreo, right? There's the God of this world at work. There's God's desire to shine the light. So how do we engage in opening the eyes? Look what it says, verse 5. It says, for, for what we proclaim. All right, so we proclaim, right? We're sharing something. What you and I are talking about is not ourselves, not the weather, not UK football, not UK basketball, not, not our, our passion, our greatest interest. He says what we are to proclaim in the midst of a God who is blinding minds and eyes is simply Jesus Christ. We are to proclaim Christ. Do you see that? You and I are in the midst of a divine drama. God is at work bringing salvation. Satan is at work blinding minds. And you and I are right where we are to simply be faithful to proclaim and share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why you are where you are. In the midst of all that's happening in your life, everything that's going on, you and I are there. God is using you on your job, in your family, in this community, at that ballpark, at that grocery store, in that that group of ladies that you meet with, in that foursome that you're in, at that lunch table at work. All of this at work. Why? Because God wants to use you to proclaim the news about His Son. It's the good news. It's the hope of what? Of opening eyes. Now we love Romans 10 and 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? They shall be saved. They will be saved. But Paul then asked the question to you and I. He says, well, how can they call or how can they be saved? But how can they call on the one whom they've not believed? And how can they believe unless they what? They hear. And how can they hear unless you tell them on your job site? How can they hear unless you and I share with our family and our friends? That's what Paul's asking. 
He says, how can they hear unless someone proclaims it to them? And how can they proclaim unless they are sent? And this is Paul being sent. And this is God's word to you. And he's sending you too. And then he says, therefore, as it is written, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And then he brings it kind of to a climax in verse 17 by saying this in Romans 10. Therefore, faith comes through what? Hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. My question to you is this. This past week, how many people heard about the word of Christ from your lips? Think back on this past week. If faith comes through hearing, if there is a God of this age that's blinding minds and God desires to shine the light, but yet He wants to use you to open eyes, I have to ask you and I this very penetrating question. How many people this past week heard from my own lips the good news about Jesus Christ? Because if faith comes through hearing the message, then, then they've got to hear. It would also, also beg the question of the map we just saw. How are those people going to be saved if they don't hear? And how are they going to hear unless you go? Unless you give, unless you pray, unless you be faithful to what God is calling you to do. Fifthly is this, appointments are to see people turn. Listen to what he says to Paul. He says to him again, I'm sending you, verse 18, to open their eyes so that. See that, man? Why, why is God wanting to send Paul? Why is God opening eyes? Why is, God, why is Paul experiencing all of this grace of God, this purpose, right? Why has he been appointed? All of this. He says, it is so that they may turn, he says, from the darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to God. He says, listen, I want you to know that I want to send you to share the gospel where you are, that people can turn from darkness to light. Do you know that? That people are in darkness. Do you see that? They are under the power of Satan. This is Jesus speaking. He who knows everyone's heart, everyone's heart is laid bare before him. He says, I want you to know that people apart from me are under the power of Satan. They are walking in darkness but I'm sending you that they may turn from that darkness to the light. I'm sending you as one who has been transformed by the mercy that is more than all of your sin, the grace that is greater than all that you've done. He says, I'm sending you as a herald. I'm sending you as a testimony of how much I love and how great my forgiveness is and how strong my power is to break sin and darkness. I'm sending you, believer, today this message is to you and I. He is sending us that people will be rescued from the darkness. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is walking from the Sea of Galilee and it says the great crowds are following him. And then Jesus does something very interesting. Right around verse 14 of Mark chapter 2, it says that he walks up to a man at a tax collector's booth. And what you have to know about tax collectors in that day and time, they were very dishonest. In fact, these folks often were Jewish people that were hired by the Romans to tax their own people and many times to exhort, extort money from them, um, just to steal and rob from them, basically. And Jesus walks up to this man who's an outcast. And not only is this guy an outcast, there's something even greater that you need to know about him. His name, according to the Scripture, is Levi. And I don't know if you know much about the Old Testament, but there was a priestly tribe, and the priestly tribe in the Old Testament was what? Levi. The Levites, right? In fact, we have a book in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, that's told, telling that very tribe how they are to perform their priestly duties. 
This guy has the name of a priestly family. And here he is sitting at a tax collector's booth. And then this moment happens. It's two words, but they're transformational. Jesus walks up to this guy who's obviously disregarded his heritage, his family name. He's just kind of shunned that. He's an outcast of outcasts. And two words to him. Follow me. Follow me. And Levi does what Paul just did. It says he rose up on his feet and he followed him. Why? Because that was a moment of mercy and grace. Of someone saying, listen Levi, I am calling you to leave your life of sin and come follow me. Some of you today, you're hearing that. You're in the midst of your sin. You know that you've done a lot of things maybe to dishonor your family name. What, the way you were brought up in the church or the, the Word of God. Or maybe you weren't. Maybe you've always felt like I've kind of been an outsider. No matter what the case you're hearing today, God's grace to this man by the name of Levi. And you'd say, I wish you would say that to me. I wonder if he would allow me to follow him. The biblical text says, yes. This is to you and I. Follow me, says. Do you need to respond? To come and follow Him. Why? Because turning from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Well, how much, I wonder, did He actually change this man's life? Well, I don't know, but you know a little bit about Him. His name was not only Levi, but we also know Him as what? Matthew. Open up the New Testament. First book, the Gospel of what? Matthew. Same guy. Same guy. Why? Because God can transform anyone, anywhere, anytime, and He desires to do it with you. And that's the power of turning someone from the darkness to the light. That is the power of rescuing someone from the power of Satan, bringing them to the power of God. And so we come to the final thing. Sixthly is this. Appointments are about others receiving forgiveness and eternal standing. Appointments. You're in my appointment. is about someone else receiving forgiveness of their sins and eternal standing. He says, verse 18 again, Jesus speaking to Paul there on that Damascus road. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Look what he says. That, right again, this is telling you why further, why are they doing this? That they may receive forgiveness of sins. Does that sound good? That you might receive the forgiveness of where you were last night? Of who you slept with this week? Of what you said, what you watched, what you looked at? The motives of your heart. Would you like all of that from this, even this past week? Maybe, maybe if you're like me from just the past few days. Would you like all of that white, clean, blotted out, no longer remembered by God? He says, if you want that, it is available by the grace and mercy that Jesus Christ bled and died for that, to take it away. It is the good news of the gospel that you and I are proclaiming to people. Do you see this? You're sharing with them the greatest hope they will ever hear, that they can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. It is the hope of the gospel. Not only that, he says, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place. Some translations may render it a standing among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He says, listen, guys, I want you to know that this is about their eternal standing. This is about their eternal home. Psalm 1 records about it. It reads these words. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And it says, and on his law he does meditate day and night. And then verse 5. It says it kind of contrasts, just like Brother Corey was telling us earlier, this is the way of the godly and there's the way of the ungodly. And then he says this in verse 5 of Psalm 1. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation or the assembly of the righteous. They won't. He says they will not be a part of that. I want you to know, he says, listen guys, if they do not receive the pardon of forgiveness of sins in Christ, he says, there's no place for them. There isn't, this is about their eternal hope. This is about your co-workers' eternal hope. This has got to move you past your comfort zone. This has to move you past job security and what might happen from HR if you share the gospel. I get it. We've got to be faithful, be wise, be discerning what the Spirit is leading us to do. But brothers and sisters, their eternity is greater than our comforts. Their eternity is greater than whatever else it may bring to you. And I, we must be faithful. Why? Listen to what Jesus says as we close. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. Look what he says. It's by what? By faith in me, in Jesus. He says, do you want forgiveness of sins? It's in Jesus. Do you want an eternal standing before God where you're accepted for all eternity as you are? It's in Jesus. There's no other way to be accepted before God as you are. You and I are sinners. We're guilty. But Christ came and took the punishment. He experienced God's judgment of sin. That you and I, by faith, by our trust in Him, we can say, God, I I trust that He died on the cross for my sins. He experienced my judgment, my payment. That by Him I might receive forgiveness. That I might receive mercy and grace. That, God, I might be able to stand with you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Singing an amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Right? When we've been there 10,000 years, times 10,000 years, times 10,000 years, amazing grace is not going to lose its sweetness. Because we're going to know for all eternity that we're standing in His presence on holy ground by grace and faith and trust in Christ alone. Does your family need that? Does your teammates need to hear that? Do your coworkers need to hear that? Do you need to hear that? Jesus says, this is the only way. By faith in me. Do you know it? Don't leave this place. You will have no standing before God apart from Christ. And if you do have a standing, if you have received that grace and forgiveness, then Paul's appointment by Christ is the appointment that's whispered to you and I. I'm sending you to. Let's go and be a servant, a witness, and to proclaim this gospel. In the name of Jesus, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. I pray, God, that you would that you would use us, God, to open eyes. That is, wow, God, that we could be a part of people's eyes being open. Lord, I, that, that is so humbling, God, that is it's terrifying. What a responsibility. But yet, Lord, when we look to the cross, we experience grace and mercy. God, when we look within, for those that are believers here, we know that we have the Spirit of Christ who dwells within us. So, Lord, we don't have the power. God, I confess to you, I am often afraid and terrified. 
Oftentimes, God, I've done something stupid, and so now I'm ashamed to ever speak about Jesus again to that person because of the way I said or acted in that moment. God, I pray you would give us courage maybe to go and say, I was wrong in that moment. Would you forgive me? I need grace. And can I share with you that you need grace too? God, I just thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you would love someone like me. Thank you that your mercy is more. God, I ask today that you would burn our hearts for those that don't have any kind of standing before you, that they're going to stand in their sin, God. I pray that you would send us this week. I'm hesitant to pray it, God, but I pray that by whatever means that you choose, God, to send us to those people. I just pray for grace that we'll remain faithful, that we'll not turn our back, that we'll not harden our hearts, no matter how much we may not like what you've used to send us. I pray that we will just simply be faithful to complete our Father's mission. We ask for grace from Christ to accomplish this. In His name I pray, Lord. Amen. I compel you today. I know you've got friends, family, co-workers that do not know Christ. What if we just spend some time this morning just as we sing, worship, but just interceding for them? Are you afraid? Guess what? The church in Acts chapter 4 was afraid too. And they prayed and asked God to give them boldness to share the gospel. So being afraid to witness is a normal Christian experience. That reminds us we need the Spirit's power and not our own. So let's pray, God, may I decrease and may you increase. Less of me, more of you. I need the Spirit's power. I'm afraid. God, I know they're under the power of Satan. I can't break those chains, but you can. So God... Like Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me. Let's pray that God would send us out this week. A mass army to go and share the gospel with friends, co-workers, family. Come on. Let's pray right now for God's boldness. You're welcome to come forward if you want. Bow where you are. Kneel where you are. Raise your hands where you are. Whatever. But I'm telling you right now, pray. Cry out to God for boldness this week. To not be ashamed. To share the good news of Christ. If you are in need of Christ, would you come? Call in on his name. Let's pray, guys. Let's go to the Lord. Let's worship. Let's sing. Let's fall to our knees. Whatever.